From the heart of Dubai, this is Sports Unhinged with Mohammed Hamiz. And we are on. Hello and welcome to Sports Unhinged. My name is Mohammed Hamiz and whether you're listening to us on your favorite podcast app or if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, we are glad that you can join us on this football episode where we review and give you our thoughts on the first day of the group stages in the Champions League this week. And what a fantastic, fantastic start to the Champions League it was. A lot of controversy, a lot of headlines, a lot of high-scoring games. It's been absolutely fantastic. And this year, the Champions League is quite unique because every year we can't wait for the group stages to be over and get to the playoffs. It's very predictable. The group stages usually have two great teams at the top of the group, one mediocre team that could, could not cause an upset. 90% of the time, they end up going to the Europa League and a very terrible team that does nothing. This year is a bit different. There's at least four or five groups where there are three teams that are competing for the top two spots. And it's quite even. It's almost impossible to make a prediction at the beginning of the year. And the games didn't disappoint at all. I'll start with the Liverpool versus PSG because that was quite, quite interesting what a great start to the, to the Champions League. It ended 3-2 to Liverpool in Anfield. Liverpool started really well, scoring two goals. PSG came back. Firmino came off the bench to score that winner. But in the Champions League, I feel what makes this tournament unique is you get to see what teams are really made of, what their character is like. In the domestic league, it's week to week. You have time to have a bad performance and then make up for it. You could lose to a bad team and then come back and win against the top team and you can kind of even things out. But in the Champions League, this is where you see what teams are made of. And we saw the character of big money teams like PSG, like Man City, not really living up to expectations. But with Liverpool, it told you everything you need to know about Liverpool this year. And this is why I I have them winning the Premier, Premier League this year. This is their golden chance. And they could compete and get very far in the Champions League as well. Now, one interesting fact in the Liverpool lineup that Jurgen Klopp chose for the game against PSG in Anfield is you have six of the starting 11. And those six are Gomez, Alexander-Arnold, Milner, Henderson, Sturridge, and Robertson. Find anything in common between these guys? They're all homegrown talent. Yes, Robertson is Scottish, but if we look at... That might not mean mean much in this global game where players are sourced from different corners of the globe, but it's very encouraging for England. It's definitely encouraging for Southgate, for the English national team. It tells you what the future of English football is going to be like. Because here you have a team with six players that kept at bay some of the top highest paid players, most expensive players in the world, the Cavani's, the Mbappe's, the Neymar's of the world. They could not perform like they wanted to. And the players that were keeping them at bay are these homegrown talents, basically. Now, why am I focusing on these six players? It's very simple. If you take Gomez... Alexander-Arnold, Milner, Henderson, Sturridge, and Robertson, and add up what it cost Liverpool to get them, those six players cost Liverpool around 40 million pounds. 
And this is fantastic. This shows you the depth that Liverpool has, the character that they have. And I said it at the beginning in the, in the first episode, the first football episode, for a team to win a championship, they need three Cs. Coaching, chemistry, and cash. And what Liverpool did with the cash that they got from selling Coutinho for 142 million is fill some real gaps that they had that were stopping them from competing at the highest level. And they invested in Naby Keita, which I think is one of the top signings in all of football this year. Van Dijk, and that was a very, very necessary signing. And Alisson in goal. Because they had Mignolet and they, um, the goalkeeping was absolutely terrible. So they've actually invested their money to really fill those gaps. And they've got the de depth and rotation with homegrown talent that didn't cost them an arm and a leg to really do the dirty work as well. Coutinho going did not stop this team at all. In fact, it opened things up for Liverpool to achieve quite a bit. And that's refreshing to see because after a decade of very questionable recruitment decisions, it's nice to see that the Klopp era in Liverpool is getting it right on and off the pitch right now. Now, on the other side, we look at PSG. And there was some outrageous play there from the top three players in terms of pressing, in terms of coming back, in terms of helping out, in terms of errors that were made. Mbappe, Neymar, Cavani. This team, with all of the money that's been invested, should have a little bit more character than that. And I think that's be because they're missing somebody to lead from the back. Yes, Thiago Silva's there, but somebody at the defensive midfield, maybe, to lead them and to give them some kind of stability at the, uh, at the back as well. And the question has always been about PSG in the Champions League is after all these investments, can they swim with the big boys in the Champions League? And the answer right now is no. Now, I think they might still get through, but Liverpool are looking absolutely great. Now, another game, and it was an early game as well, was the Tottenham versus Inter Milan um, game. And that was quite exciting to watch. Tottenham looked great for 85 minutes and then... In the last five minutes, two goals were conceded. One really great long distance effort from Icardi. And then Tottenham conceded another goal from a set piece, which is quite disappointing. And we saw that Pochettino got quite defensive in the post-game press conference because he was questioned about the two players that he left at home, Alderweireld and Trippier and why they weren't there, and if that had an effect on the outcome of the result. And Pochettino's reaction was almost as if he impersonated Mourinho there. He got quite offended. He went at the media. Why are you questioning or offending or disrespecting the players that were on the field? Come after me. Well, excuse me, they were coming after you. They're questioning your decision to leave your top two defenders back home on the first game of the Champions League. And that's been the problem with Tottenham so far. Pochettino's got it the wrong way around. He is switching his back four every game. And now what has happened is they've lost three in a row. They've lost to Liverpool, they've lost to Watford, and now they've lost in the Champions League against Inter Milan, all by the same score, 2-1. to one. If you needed to rest a player, it shouldn't be your back four. Your back four need to be consistent. 
That is the problem that Liverpool had last year before they got Van Dijk. Their back four, without that consistency, it couldn't support the star power that they had going forward. So that's the first mistake that Pochettino has been making, is switching up the back four. The second one is where was Lucas Moura? Lucas Moura has been your top player and the most dangerous player. And sometimes in some games, like the, he looked like the only player that could actually score. And you left him out, brought in Lamella instead. If you had to rest any player out of your whole team, it's Harry Kane. Harry Kane has had a very busy summer in the World Cup. And a lot of people have been questioning whether he's tired. I don't think Harry Kane is tired. From the looks of things, I think he's playing through an injury right now. And he's getting a lot of speculation and criticism, and I think it's getting to him, and it's getting to the, to the Tottenham team. Harry Kane did a lot of good stuff in the game against Inter Milan. There was a good hold-up play. He had a very good chance where he took a, an extra kind of touch, and he couldn't go around the goalkeeper and score the goal. But he looked really good. He's, he needs to be rested. If you had Lucas Moura and a solid back four, maybe bring on Harry Kane in the middle of the game or in the 60th minute, maybe you could have held things up a little bit. But something feels a bit strained in, in, in Tottenham right now, in the Spurs. First, you have the stadium issues. Then you've got the Hugo Lloris DUI situation. And I found it a bit pe peculiar that it was a late announcement that he had some kind of muscular injury, and that's why he missed the game. Uh, instead, Vorm filled in for him. You have the Deli Alley injury that came from the England games. They had, the whole team had a short preseason. A lot of chopping and changing from Pochettino at the back, which means that there's no stability in the team. So there's, there's quite a few issues happening here. Tottenham have not really found their groove this season just yet. And the question that will decide whether Tottenham has a successful season or not, and I have them finishing third in the Premier League, is how soon can they rediscover that winning mentality and consistently start winning games because they're capable of doing that. Yes, they haven't had a lot of action or no action in the transfer market this year because they're building the stadium, but they have enough to be better than this. And Pochettino needs to kind of go back and instead of getting offended, he needs to question some of the decisions that he's made going forward because Spurs had very good a very solid 40 minutes of football in the second half against Inter Milan. And Inter Milan is one of these teams, this is why I love Italian teams, they could be doing absolutely terrible in the, in the domestic league, and then the minute they go to the Champions League, that's where they turn up. And it was a fantastic thing to see as well. Now let's move into the Wednesday game act action. I'm, I'm going to skip the Barcelona one right now because I'm going to revisit that a bit later when I'm talking about Messi in a topic that's got me a bit riled up, to be honest. But we'll get to that when we get to it. Let's talk about the Wednesday game action. And the biggest headline that came out of there is obviously the sending off of Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, I don't know if the football gods are messing with me. You've heard me say in previous podcasts that I'm an avid Juventus and Valencia supporter. Not only did both of these teams end up in the same group, but there was a lot of controversy and a lot of action in the, in the game between them at the Mestalla on Wednesday night. I've also mentioned that I was a Cristiano Ronaldo hater for most of my life, and now I'm forced to actually like him because he's playing in the black and white jersey. 
and you just couldn't make it up. Now, Cristiano Ronaldo was sent off for allegedly pushing over a Valencia defender and then seemingly attempt to kind of have him stand up by pulling his hair up. What I saw from the replays, and by the way, the I think it's time for VAR to be adopted in the Champions League because this was one of the harshest red cards that I've ever seen. And I don't think if it was any other player other than Cristiano Ronaldo that it would have happened. It was unfair. I personally didn't like the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo stuck around long enough to break down and fall into tears and cry like a child before leaving. And I'm not going to compare this to the, to the meltdown that Serena Williams had in the, in the US Open because we, you didn't see Cristiano Ronaldo after the game turn this into a sexism or a racism or any kind of ism issue. He was just upset that he got a red card and there's a possibility that he won't go back to Old Trafford. But this was a very, very harsh decision by a referee who's had a lot of questionable decisions in the past. Now, this German referee, Britsch, I think uh, his, uh, his name is, or it's pronounced, has been known for some very questionable decisions in the past. He is known for once handing out four red cards and seven yellow cards in one game. He's also known for having the quickest sending off in Bundesliga history, which was 87 seconds. Not only that, he's been known for awarding phantom goals where once a goal went in through a hole in the side netting and he counted it. So this referee is known for being kind of trigger happy when it comes to to cards. And he got a lot of backlash at the World Cup as well because he denied Serbia a penalty in their final group game against Switzerland. And he wasn't called back for any fixtures after that. So this referee is known for these kind of decisions. Now what this means for... Cristiano Ronaldo, a lot of people saying that it's going to be reviewed by UEFA and the, and the reviews are already mixed, whichever outcome happens. If UEFA reverses the call and has Ronaldo come back, they'll say, oh, this is special treatment because Ronaldo is one of the top players and you, know, you want him to turn up to games like Manchester United, etc. And if he doesn't, there'll be an outcry because it looked like a soft sending off. No, to me, it was barely a yellow card, if that. So... This is quite interesting, and we'll be monitoring how it turns out in the next few days. Now, Juventus were still able to win the game by getting awarded two penalties during the game, converting them. Valencia missed a penalty uh, at the end of the game to salvage a kind of a consolation goal. But this is a problem for Valencia. And the reason is because after the off-season that Valencia has had, there is absolutely no excuse for playing like this. They seem like they're playing in preseason mode right now. The only person that was trying was Rodrigo. Parejo was absolutely terrible. And if we look at Valencia, they're a team that in the transfer market, they've added Diakabi, they added Vas, they added Shershiev, Bachuay, Gamiero, and they got Guedes from PSG. This team should be performing much better, especially at home. And Marcelino has quite a bit to do coaching because Yes, in the past, Valencia have been known to be a team that is selling all of their best players. Um, They've had money issues in the past. They couldn't perform. But now they have all the pieces they need to do well. So if this doesn't improve in the near future, the coach will have to take the blame for that. Now, on the other side, we saw Manchester United away in Switzerland against young boys 
um, and they ended up having a comfortable 3-0 win. And a lot of people are finally saying that this could be the beginning of a turnaround for Manchester United. But let's not forget the opposition that they were playing against. They looked really good, I have to admit. It was nice to see Martial actually score a goal. It was nice to see Rashford. So Rashford and Martial were playing at either side of Lukaku. They played really, really well. But let's not forget that this team has recently had a terrible loss to Brighton and they were humiliated at home by Spurs. If they didn't do well against young boys, then we would really have a crisis in our hands. So let's not get overexcited about where Manchester United is right now. I still have them having serious problems reaching the top four or going deep in the Champions League. If Valencia start turning things around, I expect them to go through with Juventus. So at the moment, for Manchester United at this level, I only see a domestic cup win that seems like a reasonable possibility for them at the end of the season. But it was a good performance. It was great. I think the main takeaway from this game is how great the fullbacks were. Luke Shaw and Diogo Dalot, who's had his, uh, his debut for Manchester United, was absolutely fantastic. So I think Mourinho has an answer there going forward. And let's see if he goes with those two fullbacks going forward in the league games as well. But this group is absolutely fantastic. If we take away the red card for Ronaldo... You had him return to United. There are a lot of storylines in there. You have Pogba returning to play against Juventus. You have um, Antonio Valencia playing a team called Valencia. You have Ashley Young playing against a team called Young Boys. I mean, you couldn't make this up. So a very, very exciting group there. And we'll be... I mean, the next game, Manchester United versus Valencia, will, will tell us a lot of how this group is going to end up as well. Now let me move on to another topic. Yes, we had Atletico Madrid. They had a great come-from-behind win against Monaco. Barcelona had an easy win. Real Madrid had an, had an easy win against Roma, which was, uh, which was a, very telling. But let me talk about Lionel Messi. Because Lionel Messi reminded us of what kind of player he is and what a rare talent he is and how much the football world is going to miss him when he's done playing the game of football. And the reason I mentioned that is because earlier, a couple of weeks ago, FIFA announced the finalists for the Player of the Year award. And the top three that they went with were Ronaldo, Mohamed Salah, and Luka Modric. And if we look at the performances of these three players throughout the calendar year of 2018 for club and country, you have Ronaldo up here with 32 games, 34 goals and 7 assists. Mohamed Salah with 34 games, 28 goals and 10 assists. And Modric with 37 games, 3 goals and 8 assists. See somebody missing here? Yes, it's Lionel Messi. And to leave Messi out of the top 3 players in the world is an absolute crime. Because if we look at Messi's performance... In the calendar year of 2018, he has scored the most, he has assisted the most, and he has won the most as well. He is a player who dominated his league in almost all categories, leading the European top five leagues in goals, assists. He has more assists than two of those top three players combined. He has more goals than any of them, and he's not on the list. What's this voting got to do with? We need to understand 
what is the logic? Now, yes, this is done through voting. You've got coaches, captains, and the media. And I think the media had a lot to do with the final three that we ended up seeing. But I need to understand, because if this was to do with the World Cup, then where is Mbappe or Griezmann? Or even Varane? He won the Champions League and the World Cup as well. If it's because of goals, then Modric shouldn't be there. If it's about trophies, then Salah shouldn't be there. Because Messi won La Liga and the Copa del Rey. They had the home double. It is about, if it's about performance throughout the season, consistent performance throughout the season, then maybe Ronaldo shouldn't be there. But for me, Messi, he's won the European Golden Boot for a record fifth time. He's the only player in Europe to lead his league in scoring assists, take-ons, and chances created. He's got a domestic double. He only lost three games in all of 2018. But yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not one of the top three. Now, you might ask me, who should, be, who should Messi be put ahead of? It's quite simple. I can't take away Modric because he won the Champions League and captained a team which is Croatia, which was nobody had them going to the, to the World Cup final. And he took them all the way to the World Cup final. He was instrumental in that. So yeah, I would replace Mohamed Salah with Lionel Messi. Because if we look statistically about an individual performance, Messi did better than Mohamed Salah. Now, don't get me wrong. Mohamed Salah last year had one of the most unbelievable seasons that you could ever see. And I'm not rewarding Messi for playing at a high, consistent level for, for the last decade. I'm not rewarding him for history. I'm rewarding him for the performance in last year alone. He got knocked out of the quarterfinal of the Champions League. Big deal. At the end of the day, he has no trophies to show for it. And Messi does. And he was instrumental in getting these trophies. People can hate Messi. People can hate Ronaldo. But one thing you can't deny is that they, these two players have transformed football and they're one of the, it's one of the greatest rivalries in sports history. And we're, the sport is going to miss them once they're done. Just like the NBA is going to miss LeBron James once he retires. The NFL is going to miss Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers once they retire. It's blasphemy to leave Messi out of the top three players for the year. And he's showing us why, again, in the league and in the Champions League. Did you see the goals? Did you see the performances that Messi has put through since the beginning of the season alone? It's absolutely incredible. Oh, but it's, 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 not, a, it's, not, a team, uh, it's not a team award. Okay, if, it's, uh, if it was a team award, then Modric or Griezmann should win. If it's about the individual, then Messi should at least be there. And... One of the biggest clues to me that this is an actual individual award is because Salah has been put ahead of Mbappe and Griezmann on this list. So that tells me immediately that it's not a team award. So it is an individual award. And in the individual award, Messi still wins on every statistic. It's unbelievable. Now, I've, I've spoken to quite a few of my friends, football fans out there. And they have different opinions, especially Liverpool fans. They get a little bit more emotional. And we'll see if we can get some of these guys on the show in the future and have this debate again. 
But by the way of, by the look of things so far, it's too early to say it, but Salah is struggling. He's looking like a one-season wonder right now. Although I don't blame his performances necessarily on Klopp or on Liverpool, I think Salah is mentally not there. And I think the damage that has been done to him by the Egyptian FA has a lot to do with it. You almost get caught in politics when you become a star in a country that is or a region that has not been used to having stars like Mohamed Salah. He actually took over the world last, last year. So let's see how that ends up. Completely disagree with Messi being left out of the top three award. Now, another thing that I found outrageous, I think from here until the end of the show, is just going to be things that, that are outrageous to me. There was a meeting between top European club coaches and captains about possibly abolishing the away goal rule in the Champions League. And that, again, did not make sense to me. I think that one of the unique things about the sport is the away goal. And what the away goal brings us is the influence of the 12th player on that field, which is the home crowd. If you go to a stadium known to have a tough atmosphere and grab a goal and go through an away goals, you deserve it because you had the strength to endure that kind of environment and score a goal. And that's an advantage for some teams. And a lot of young, a lot of teams that are not, sometimes they go up against much bigger teams and they feel they don't have a chance. The away goal is their lifeline if they play the away game really, really well. So keeping the away goals, I think, is going to be the better option. Because if you look at teams like Liverpool, and I'm, I'm harping on, on Liverpool a little bit too much today, places like Anfield, I don't care who you are. Once you go there, it's very, very difficult to play a game at Anfield. Just from the bus coming into the stadium, that whole mile or kilometer of Liverpool fans terrorizing the away team coming in, to the way that they play the game once they're in. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. It's one of the unique things about the game. So that's another thing that I don't understand. But it's, it's, it's a good debate to have. Now, another report came out. And this was a couple of weeks ago. And it quickly went away because of the outrage. And I think this was kind of a tester that UEFA kind of leaked through to just, to just see the reaction of the fans and what, what that would uh, cause once it was out. So basically, the chief executive of a Spanish Champions League rights holder, a company called MediaPro, told a radio station that they are considering or investigating the feasibility of having a Champions League final in the year 2021 being played in New York. Is nothing sacred anymore? A European Championship final being played in a different continent. Why don't you bring the Super Bowl over here to Dubai then? I'd love to see that. This is, I want the final of the Copa America to be played in Moscow. And the excuse that they gave is that this championship is no longer just a European championship. It's on the global stage. Well, I'm sorry, promoting the sport on the global stage is something that is already done very well through 
preseason campaigns. You have all of these top teams, the Barcelonas, the Juventuses, the Real Madrids, the PSGs, the Man Cities of the world traveling to the United States, to Dubai, to Saudi, to China, to Singapore, to Japan, and playing all of these made-up friendly tournaments and cups for that particular reason, so everybody can see the stars, and it's not like stars are sitting out during these games, they're playing. So we already have a mechanism by which to promote the sport. Not to forget that the MLS right now in, in America is becoming more popular because a lot of the European stars, yes, they're near the end of their careers, like Ibrahimovic and Rooney are moving over to, to MLS sides, and you saw what Ibrahimovic has been doing in the MLS. His 500th goal was some kind of taekwondo karate kick that was all over ESPN for a good two days. The popularity of the sport is there. Why are we miss messing with tournaments that mean a great deal to the fans in that particular region for the sake of sponsors and soul-selling and money-making. This has gone a bit too far with money infiltrating the sport. Now, the UEFA president came out very, very quickly and said that there were no plans. The quote was, UEFA has no plans to stage the Champions League final outside of Europe. And he did, I mean, if you go back in 2016, he told the Associated Press that it might be an idea in the future, but that's gone now. But we have the same problem right now in the Spanish League where players actually threaten to go on strike because, again, the Spanish Domestic League decided or announced that it is going to play a few games in the United, uh, in the United States as well. Let me repeat that. The Spanish Domestic League, all Spanish teams going out there in the United States, to play a domestic league game. I don't get it. I, I, I really don't understand it. And after that outrage came out, it, it kind of got narrowed down to two teams that agreed to do it, Barcelona and Hirona. Hirona, a small team in Catalonia, which brings in a political kind of side to things that I'm, I'm not going to get into at all. But again, Hirona, if you look at it, it's owned by the Citigroup and it's also owned by Pep Guardiola's brother. A small team, Maybe 10,000 fans turn up to watch that game, uh, their games every, every week. And now you're having a meaningful game, which is pretty much a local derby, being played thousands of miles away for the benefit of sponsors and pretty much casual observers. Don't tell me that by having one game being played uh, in the US for La Liga will turn a lot of attention from casual fans of the sport in the United States to La Liga and make them watch it every week. This is a mockery to the fans, to the traditions of clubs. When it comes to local clubs, especially the small ones, you're getting a lot of followers that have grown up supporting these teams. That when they were nothing, when they were in the third division, in the second division, and you're kind of born into these football clubs and to watch these football clubs. And a lot of these fans can't afford to travel to the United States. Now, part of the package, which tells you exactly what the motivation of this whole game is, part of the agreement that, game, uh, that came for that, for that match is that Hirona will make $4 million 
for playing the game away and forfeiting their home advantage. Let's face it, everybody that turns up to the game will be a Barcelona fan. And they will also finance the transfer, the travel and accommodation of 1,500 Hirona season ticket holders to go watch the game. And for those who can't make it, they will even offer them a 40% discount on their season tickets. This is pure, it almost sounds like bribery. Here, I'll give you money, give up a home game that you were going to lose anyway, let's go play it in the United States. I don't get it. So yeah, um, ending on that negative note, money is infiltrating football in a way that is scary. We're seeing it in the transfer market with the prices of some of the players and what they're going for. We're seeing it with super teams being built out of thin air, purely from financing and big conglomerates and companies. And I complained about this last year when Neymar was transferred and it still hasn't gone away. But at least when it comes to players, you can tolerate it somehow because players are going to always get more, they're going to be more expensive and they're going to get paid a lot of money. And it's a bit hypocritical for me to bring that up knowing how much Cristiano Ronaldo is being paid in, in Juventus right now. But when you start messing with the games and where they're being played, I think that's going a little bit too far. Anyways, that has been Sports Unhinged. We have a very nice um, kind of couple of weeks coming up in, in football. Uh, then our next episode will probably go back to covering the NFL uh, boxing. I mentioned in my last podcast that Anthony Joshua was probably fighting in October. It's actually this this fight kind of crept up on me it's this weekend september 22nd so we're going to be giving you our thoughts on that in the next episode this has been sports unhinged my name is muhammad khamis and until next time take care